Welcome to Real Life Real Equity Podcast with your hosts, Justin and Keisha Brooks. Hey, welcome to the show. Our goal is to share with you real-life examples of entrepreneurs who are winning in both life and business. As real estate investors, our mission is to model, educate, and inspire you to act by sharing easy-to-implement tools, ideas, and information to add more worth to your net worth, more cash to your cash flow, helping you achieve your goals in less time. Welcome to the show. Oh man, this is part two of our two-part interview with Mr. Glenn Dakin. If you don't remember from last show, he's a serial entrepreneur, current pipeline entrepreneur fellow, and a member of the Young Entrepreneur Council. He is also a Navy veteran pilot who served 11 years in the active duty and is now a commander in the Naval Reserves. Allow me to introduce to you our guest today, Mr. Glenn Dakin. I'm going to bring you back into the show with some good nuggets, so I'm super excited about this one. We're talking about the realities behind entrepreneurship, right? And Glenn just brought that up. Everybody talks about the glory and the glitz and the glam. I think you had mentioned it before in a private conversation. You sat down with Grant Cardone and all these people. You know, Grant Cardone used to be in auto industry, right? Yep, he sure did. I actually, you know, happenstance alone, I I happened to be able to network very well in a new industries. And I networked to a guy who kind of befriended me. He was like best friends of Grant Cardone. We all sat down and played blackjack in Vegas. I didn't, I knew he was a big deal at the time. Again, back, this was back in 2014. This is before he kind of quote blew up in other verticals. But yeah, he's a car guy through and through. We talk about entrepreneurship. We talk about product. We talk about marketing. We talk about sales. All these things we're talking about today, we do that through and through through this newsletter. So go subscribe now. Um, taking it back, you said product, product, you said product, market, and sales. That is, that is key. That is key. Uh, Ken McElroy said, if you have an issue with your money, just go make another sale. So it's just, it's one of those things. You seem super confident now. Talk to us a little bit about the highs and the lows. Guys, I want to say like Glenn was my man hero for a lot of years because I got to ride and drive some of the AMGs, Mercedes AMGs. And you know, this dude had Maseratis. It was one of the few people I knew who sold high-end luxury vehicles. And Unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to help you more because I wanted to see you get to the Lambo and then we could have drove that and seen one. <laughs> yeah, so. I got to drive one. I think we sold one Aston, one Lambo, a couple of Ferraris. But yeah, our, our bread and butter was those kind of M, you know, BMWs, AMG, Mercedes, Porsche. Because again, they're a little more attainable. So talk to us a little bit about the some of the lows. You, you mentioned it just a little bit. Talk to us a little bit more about the lows of, you know, personnel. That was one of the things we talked to before air, before we aired personnel issue. I've had personal issues in our business. You've had personal issues in your business. When you went on deployment, that was like the kiss of death, if you would, for personnel issues. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, all good. And uh, and I want to be very clear, like, you know, most entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs, and I'm I'm privileged to know a heck of a lot of really good ones and, and, you know, and all that that have had success, but a lot of people are kind of the middling. Every day is kind of that up and that's a down. And that's what I want to be very clear and transparent about. It's like, you know, I kind of thought, Oh man, as soon as I crack this coconut, you know, boom, profits come out of it. I'm going to build a legacy for my family. I'll do that all within, I don't know, two to four years. Like, yeah, some of these things are things I've made mistakes on. Some of these things are externalities, right? So Justin mentioned the Navy deployment. That that was a kiss of death for, I had actually three different businesses running by the time I had to go deploy. One of them, I mentioned Pure Pursuit. And that was the one that was kind of that, that uh, online dealership model held inventory. Another one, when I moved out of the dusty warehouse and, and started my retail location, in a really uh, hip part of uh, downtown KC. You know, I basically had this old location. I thought, hey, wouldn't it be great if we sold lower end cars? You know, the people that didn't care at all about the look and feel of this, but needed credit and needed this and that. And I had a good mentor that way. I was like, hey, I'll just run that. And then I had another company that was truly doing online sales 
And that was kind of the birth. That was kind of an MVP. And we were doing deals, let's say one a month on that. They always made money. I thought, man, like this is, if we could package this up into a, into a technology company, this would be it. And I would, I would give up the, the Maseratis and I would, the low-end car lot should be able to run itself. So that was all the theory, right? And so this is 2015. I opened a retail location for Pure Pursuit. It's a great, I mean, I got written up nationally, actually. I got, I got a place in Business Insider nationally on that concept. A lot of technology. And I was, it was amazing, right? And I was like, this is great. But again, lacking the um, lacking the inventory I thought I needed. So I was already talking to investors. I was already looking at, hey, how can I take my concierge business line and maybe put that into a technology product? And I had basically an entire management suite. Uh, so I thought over the low-end car dealership lot, which was profitable the first month we opened it, right? So net profitable. So I was really excited. And then the Navy, you know, basically called and said, hey, you got to deploy for a year. And I was like, you don't understand if I, I have all these things going, I have to be the glue to hold it all together. And the Navy really didn't care because there was a very high, high end set of orders that I was kind of tailor made for me, so to speak. I'm not going to say I was hand selected, but my somebody like me is exactly who they needed. So I said, hey, I need to defer a year. I would be happy to go deploy. I mean, I knew the gig when I signed up, but man, I just took on about $600,000 of personally guaranteed debt. I opened a retail location. I have, you know, all these people are counting on me. The Navy said, oh, sure, put it in a deferment package, figure out if we can get it approved or not. And that process took several months, right? And so I kind of thought that I was out of the deployment, that I could run these three businesses. And lo and behold, as you know, you came back and said, oh, just kidding. Uh, you don't get a deferment at all. You're not even in the right category to even apply. You got to go. If you don't go, you'll end up being thrown in jail as a deserter. Like yeah, that's how extreme it became. I had a one month and that was really, really rough, right? So wow. I ended up thinking, hey, I got good people. We got these business lines. It's going to be fine. My wife, you know, is going to end up stepping in. She's been a stay-at-home mom at that point for five years. She has very little business experience. You know, she's only, only kind of had day jobs. And it's, I was like, oh, but, you know, I think we can do it because I have these really quality people. Motivation and culture go a hell of a long way when it comes from leadership. We know that from the military. We know that from business. But with me just being gone, people initially lost motivation. They knew my wife was trying to be a stay-at-home mom and come in the office a couple hours. She didn't really know what she was doing. She was learning on the fly. We got eventually, to keep you know, wrap up the story, uh, we had an office manager that was embezzling from us, stealing from us straight up. We had an extremely you know, lack of motivation for any of the kind of functionaries. The low-end car dealership lot was basically imploded within one month of me being gone. And then, you know, basically the guy that was supposed to be the GM let, let himself go after about five months, six months. So halfway through the deployment, I'm like, wow, I'm going to come back with three ruined businesses and bankrupt. And that's about, it's about what happened. Now, the only reason I didn't declare actual bankruptcy was because I have family debt that I still owe to this day and I will for a long time from uh, that, that blow. But it taught me, hey, do I, do I want to do this entrepreneurship thing or do I want to go get a job? And I realized, man, the only way I'm going to really pay back this amount of debt is to find something that works eventually, even as a side project, kind of the decision I made when I got back. Boom. I mean, there you have it. There's a lot to unpack there. And we could go on for hours. You go on deployment, you face what every entrepreneur faces, except you had to face it from what, 5,000 miles away? Uh, yeah, I had to face that from 7,200 miles away uh, in the Middle East is where I was. And we were doing counterterrorism operations against Al-Qaeda. So it's not as if I had a, a light day job. Wow. 7,200 miles away. So again, you faced personnel issues. You were 7,200 miles away and you had to, you had to manage all of that while doing counterterrorism operations against Al-Qaeda. Now, embezzlement. 
hard, hard, hard to deal with. $600,000 of raised capital. You had millions of dollars worth of kind of overall uh, equity injected into this business. And you're still to this day looking to kind of come out of that. But here's the deal. And this is where I commend you the most. A lot of people would have said, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, even if you could BK there, I'm just going to BK out. I'll go get a job and I'll just start all over. Not only did you not, because there's some debt that I'm sure you could have BK'd out. Correct. Not only did you not, you said, you know what? The only way I'm going to get out of this is to start another business. And that is extremely counterintuitive to what is put out today. So again, I'm commending you on stuff that we already knew and that we have already talked about. But again, for this kind of format, it's incredibly powerful to have that message where I'm struggling to overcome. And the only way that I'm going to get out is to create something new. You know, Robert Kiyosaki talks about hitting the accelerator when you're about to crash into the wall. Oh, that's exactly that's all true. Absolutely. You know, you basically, it's kind of riding a dirt bike, right? You have to throttle down when it gets hard, you know, in the sand. It's, yeah. Know, when you're going to crash, you don't hit the brakes because if you hit the brakes, you run into the wall. You have to accelerate out. You have to downshift and accelerate out. I learned this from uh, an event I went to from a, a lady who took a race course in class. She said you have to downshift, which means you have to throw into a lower gear and you have to hit the accelerator to come out of your spin so that you don't run into the wall. Because if you hit the brakes, you crash. So let's talk about what you're currently doing today. Sure. So um, basically, fast forward the last couple of years, I raised a million dollars of venture money to actually build a tech startup based on a lot of my online car sales. And that was really kind of a software as a service company that um, that built custom technology for e-commerce, right? So we were selling that not to consumers, we were selling that to dealers. So I shifted from B2C, which is selling cars directly to consumers. I said, all right, just got to shut down this uh, dealership arm. I need focus. And in 2018, we actually successfully launched and, uh, and, and gained revenue as a tech company, which is extremely hard to do, to dealers. So we were able to find them. We launched at a conference, impress them, build real technology. And you guess what? Again, you know, the, the externalities are tough. I, I kind of picked the wrong pony for which investment group I wanted to go with. I got approached by a multi-billion dollar dealer group out of Texas that said, hey, we want to do your next seed round. And we want to, you know, we want to be the ones to back you. We agreed and had a term sheet for three and a half million. And then they had kind of their own infighting would be the best way I'd describe it. They're not really a sophisticated investor. They're more of a dealership group, but they have the money. But their own their own infighting imploded my deal. And uh, boom, there I was stuck one more time. And this, this is the time. I'm not insane. I don't just uh, do things over and over that are insane. I, <laughs> I got I got Yeah, I, I have my own personal limit. I said, hey, we built a real company. We built, we had real customers. We went from zero to $29,000 of revenue booked in a month. So we built a company that was actually starting to pay for some of its own bills as a tech company. And the mistake I couldn't have controlled was, hey, we we fell in with the wrong investor set. We should have gone the traditional venture capital route, professional investors. Instead, we went with the dealership investors thinking that would be better. Ended up having to basically kind of figure out if I could sell that technology off and shut that company down. So that was the time my wife, you know, I'm lucky to stay married at this point. I said, hey, you know, I got to get a job. I got to, you know, jump into something that's reliable, sustainable with benefits that, you know, again, packing on some more debt from that implosion of that company. I was like, all right, that's enough. Enough is enough, right? But I can't stop, you know, starting businesses that I see opportunities at, but I've learned so much that, so I went and got a day job with a friend's biotech startup. They're based in Scottsdale. I ended up, you know, becoming the Midwest regional sales manager 
which is great. I have full autonomy, selling an amazing DNA-based product. At Vanderbilt, going back way at the beginning of this conversation, I actually majored in neuroscience and I was full pre-med. I never got a chance to do anything with that because I went right to the Navy as a pilot. And so I understand the technology. I'm, I'm very well suited to the marketing and sales. It's a great job. But on the side, I still had from the shutdown of my dealership days, I still had all this stuff in a warehouse that was really high end. So think about it like the equivalent of used Ferraris and Maseratis sitting in a warehouse gathering dust, right? In the furniture world, in the fixtures world, that's kind of the equivalent. My friend approached me and said, hey, I, I shut down a restaurant. I'm too busy to do much with it. Hey, we need to figure out how to sell this stuff. You know, Glenn, you're good at digital marketing. Do you think in e-commerce, that's kind of exactly where I just came from. Do you think we could, you know, get this stuff moved and turned into cash? So I said, well, geez, I need, I need cash real bad. You know, I had another business kind of you know, stumbling uh, block, if you will. And I, I, I took a day job and that's dumb, but man, I think we could do something with this. So that was the birth of really, which is still just a nights and weekends type of project, but we ended up calling it Liquify Group. And the idea there is to liquidate businesses when they're either moving or going out of business. And it turns out it's a massive problem. And there's these warehouses full of stuff. We weren't the only ones with the problem. We had lived the problem. It's an extreme problem. And because I've learned so much about how do you design a business model, I have no staff. I have no inventory. I have very little uh, overhead, right? We have a very cheap warehouse. We have a very cheap e-commerce and tech stack that runs it. And it was, uh, I started in January. We really started to kind of sell. And this again, part-time only guys. So you can do this. And this is how I'd recommend if you want to start a business to do it, get a day job, get benefits, start something on the side and put your own money into it, experiment, but that's exactly what I did. I finally did it right, I would argue, all the way in 2019. That, that company, by the time, it took us $2,200 to start, sold thousands of dollars month one. It was net profitable month one. Uh, we sold some more, and then I started the, doing the e-commerce thing. And that, that company's put about $15,000 net in my pocket over the last you know several months versus the cost. And that's the way you do it, right? We found something, we've lived through it. We, we, we're still experimenting. I'd love to have that be, you know, replace my day job. But until I get a very reliable business model going, I'm not doing it. And the final thing I learned was, you know, I, had, I, I went out and shopped for a business partner, right? So now I have a really good network I've been developing for the last six, seven years of living in KC. And I have certain people I know that I can trust, that I've known for years, that have different skill sets than my own, that we get along. And more importantly, they're, you know, they're willing to, they want to start a business. Not many people are crazy enough to do that. So I went and I found a business uh, partner. Um, who's hit all those wickets. We've been doing very well on the side. We have a lot of opportunities on that. But yeah, Liquify Group kind of wrap up is something where it's like, hey, so far, uh, we've hit it very well as a business model. Um, and it, you know, it's kind of done very well to put some extra cash in my pocket when I needed it. Man, I just, uh, I'm sitting here taking notes. And one of the things that I, I, I gleaned from what you just talked about is all your past experiences came together to bring you this opportunity with Liquify Group to not only use your past as a teacher and not a club, as Jim Rohn would say, but really to use your experience to build a better business the third, fourth, fifth time around. Because no matter what happens, and, and we talk about this a lot, there's always a silver lining in every failure. Every, what we call, we don't call failure, we call temporary defeat. You know, there's always <laughs> a silver lining. And you hit something that's really key because you say you work full time, but you chose a you chose a career where there was still a level of autonomy and production that is sales. Sales is one of the few ways that you can still create a million dollar millionaire kind of lifestyle. 
there's, you know, entrepreneurship, there's sales, and then there's the C-suite executive or there's inheritance. So there's only a few ways to really get to a millionaire lifestyle. I mean, of course you could save your way, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about through actual revenue producing activities and you chose sales and then you created on the side a business and that business, you started with no employees. Now, again, we're not advocating that you don't have employees just because not to have employees, but the way this model works, you didn't try to get a whole bunch of employees. You didn't try to bring on a whole bunch of tech engineers and you were starting lean, extremely lean, minimum viable product, and you made money month one. No, and the last thing you hit was you shopped your partner. Like we talk about team all the time. We talk about it till we're blue in the face, but I think team is an ambiguous word. You shopped your partner. For those of you who didn't catch it, I just barely caught it. You shopped him, but you looked for the places where you were weak and he was strong and you could get along. That's huge. That's key. So throughout this interview, Glenn, you have truly highlighted several things. The biggest thing, the triangle you talked about was having a product, knowing how to market, and then sales. I think that is really key with entrepreneurship. And so even when with the point, like Justin instead of shopping a partner, sometimes we can have the product, we can know how to sales, but then we get the partner that knows how to market. And that's yep. how you end up on top in the end. So how can we get a hold of you if people want to get more information about your current venture? Yeah, thanks. And, you know, that's on that before I give out my email, which I'm always happy to do. Um, I think, yeah, you guys touched on it, right? You're trying to find a co-founder team that has, you know, very specific skill sets yeah. in the tech world, something that's easy to latch onto. And I think this applies to almost anything, but you want the hacker, somebody who's actually be able to code. You want the hustler, somebody that's going to be able to actually sell, right? And then you want the hipster, somebody that actually cares about design and the interface and what the customer is going to see. So you take those three, the hacker, the hustler, the hipster, apply them to any business. And you say, hey, you know, a lot of times you, if you look at that and you're like, hey, I, I can't be all three. Justin and Keisha cannot be all three if you're just one person. You may be able to get that with two people. It's very rare. But a lot of times it becomes a, you know, a three-person game. And that's kind of what a lot of these uh, startups are founded on, all that. But I would also just say, you know, the more, the more mouths to feed and the more egos and the more personalities and the more blah, blah, blah. So I would never really go above three to start. Make sure you know these people, make sure they're vetted and make sure they have those unique skill sets. And again, or you can apply that to, hey, this is the product guy, this is the marketing guy, this is the sales gal. And uh, the three of us are going to be fine. So one way or another, hopefully that's one more tidbit. That was huge. I didn't, I've never heard you say that before. So you said you got the hacker who can code, you got the hustler who can sell, and you got the hipster who who likes to make things aesthetically pleasing pretty. Wow. (laughs) And to be clear, we're not saying go out and get what, if you were to go to Black Law's Dictionary, a true to life partner. We're saying you engage with people who have one, a like-mindedness to them. And then two, they can come in and fight the battle with you. That doesn't necessarily mean they are your GPs, your general partners. They could be a limited partner. They could be a, not a partner at all. They could be somebody you give equity in lieu of salary to. I mean, it's all these different creative ways. So find the hacker, the hustler, and the hipster so that you can create a better product. And, you know, look at the people that have done it successfully before. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he had a co-founder. We know, all know who Steve Jobs' co-founder was, Steve Wozniak. I mean, we all know these guys. And so Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, we know who these co-founders are. And they came together and they had mutually beneficial relationships where one was strong, where other was weak. So 
No, yeah, and that, that's um, so. Yeah, shifting gears. Oh, final thing I'd say is don't ever give anybody a co-founder title unless they do two things. Number one, they work for free. They don't take out of the kitty uh, when it's new. Number two, they actually put into the kitty. They put their skin in the game. I do not award co-founder titles unless you hit those two wickets. Plenty of people are willing to do some work on the side for equity. Great. You might be a, a chief technology officer. You might be a chief marketing officer. You're not a freaking co-founder. Co-founders put five grand, 10 grand, a hundred grand, a million, whatever it is into the game. So that way it can actually be something, right? So just don't give that title away loosely for any, anything. So switching gears, uh, liquefygroup.com and my email, Glenn, G-L-E-N at liquefy, L-I-Q-U-I-F-Y group.com. So yeah, we, like I said, we're in the business of, of liquidating businesses when they're either moving, experiencing success. Let's just say one of these, you know, venture backed startups is like, oh my God, we raised $20 million. We have to like now group up these three different offices. We got to build our big headquarters. We can help those startups. If it's a restaurant that's failing, go and BK, we can help those. Uh, we try to kind of keep it very limited to just kind of restaurant and office space. But yeah, so far, like I said, guys, total side project, it makes money. So it's not just a hobby. <laughs> so if you're not making money, it's a hobby. Sometimes an extremely expensive hobby. Uh, Pure Pursuit Automotive, probably my biggest quote failure, absolutely was that, right? The rest along the way, we're all just kind of iterations towards, you know, what I hope to be a success one day. Thanks again, guys, for, you know, always happy to share. Reach out, email me there, no problem. I've had 100, 200, 400 people help me out, you know, along the way because I had to build that network from scratch. Always willing to give back and take time. Yeah. Wow. Wow. If if they're going to, if you're going to award them co-founder status, and this is coming from a tech guy, so it means a lot. They either work for free or they put in the kitty or both. And they can reach you, liquefygroup.com. That's liquefygroup.com. Or if you want to email them, hit them up at glenn at liquefygroup.com. That's glenn, G-L-E-N, at liquefygroup.com. Man, we appreciate you being on the podcast today. We appreciate your time. With that being said, as always, we'll see you next week. Thanks for being with us. Nice guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Life Real Equity Podcast. If you would like to ask the hosts a question or be exposed to our podcast audience, visit our website at realliferealequity.com and submit a request. Again, that's realliferealequity.com or send us an email at info at realliferealequity.com. Again, that's info at realliferealequity.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week right here on Real Life Real Equity Podcast.